I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast today. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, joined by Adam Jones, Dave Prentice and Gavin Buckland as we look back on another dismal Everton performance, a season that started off promising so much and ultimately delivered so little and a really kind of disappointing end to the season which saw Everton finish 10th below the likes of Arsenal and Leeds United. Before we came on here, Dave has promised to try and do the whole podcast without Sweden, so we'll see if he can uh, live up to that prediction as we go over the the ashes of that game yesterday. But Adam, you were at the Etihad, so we will start with you. Oh, good. Describe how you were feeling coming coming out the stadium yesterday. Another wretched performance, finishing tenth in the table on a day that we knew we could maybe secure European football, even though it was slim. It's just it's been a re- real punch to the gut in the last few weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just it's just a certain amount of frustration, isn't it? And I think, you know, Phil Kirkbride was writing what he wrote after the game. You know, the, the, the European football wasn't lost by the fact that Everton were beaten by Man City. It was lost by the fact that they'd lost so many of those, you know, winnable games at home in particular. You know, that it was it was months ago that Everton lost lost that uh, lost that little run for Europe, but you I still, I still find myself really disappointed about that performance against Man City. Now, obviously, yeah. Man City are the best team in the league. They won the league by twelve points, I think it was. So they're quite clearly better than everybody else in the division at the minute. I get that. There's a big golfing class between the quality of the players on the pitch that Man City had and that Everton had. Again, I get it. But on other occasions this season, even Everton have managed to bridge that golf in in quality in terms of you know, players on the pitch, you know, they went to Anfield in particular and got a battled themselves to a 2-0 win. There was no, no any semblance of that performance uh, at the Etihad yesterday. And I think that's that's the most frustrating thing to me, really. You know, you, you can have you can have a golfing quality in terms of players on the pitch, but you can't account for that, you know, lack of lack of effort, lack of Lack of desire, you know. It's these, it's these things that we keep going back to. You know, how, how often have we said this over it, about Everton over the last few years? And I think that was a that was a real issue. I think we started the game all right. We, you know, created a couple of chances. You know, Gilfie forced Edison into a save. Yeah, Calvert Lewin maybe should have done better with that one that he was that he forced Edison into a save with as well. But you know, after that, after City took the lead, you know, it, it just looked like. You know, 11 headless chickens were on the pitch forever. Well, actually, sorry, 10 headless chickens and a very competent goalkeeper in goal, uh, I would have to say. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's just, as you say, it's a frustrating way to end a, a season that did start off with a lot of promise about it. And, you know, for Everton going throughout the whole campaign saying that European football was the aim, you know, we haven't got it. So you've, you've really got to consider whether this whether this campaign has been a success or not. Yes, we've nominally improved you know we've got 10 points more than we did last season we're two places higher than we were last season I think I've seen loads of stats saying that 59 points is usually uh, good enough to finish between fifth and seventh but uh, it's by the by for me to be honest we haven't we haven't secured European football so in my head the season's failure let's bring let's bring that over to you then Preno how do you rate this season for, for Everton it, it has it been a failed season Oh, 100%, yes. It's, um, it, it's, I know Carlo did his best to try and accentuate the positives after the game on Sunday, which is, which is what he does. And that's, you know, so fairly, you know, so solid management. He has been honest this season. He has, you know, delivered a few home truths on occasions. But I just thought the whole setup on Sunday was a bit weird. And, you know, we tried to, having achieved success this season, by going away from home and, and being boring, let's be frank, you know, so putting you know two banks of four and sneaking goals from set pieces and things, but getting results as a result. 
on Sunday, we thought it was a good idea to try and you know sort of play Manchester City at their own game and play a really open match uh, in which we created chances. But with the quality of players at their disposal, they were always going to create more chances and be better at taking them. And then the number of unforced errors that we made. Uh, you know, Michael Keane gave away a goal by losing possession on the halfway line. Tom Davis, that was reckless. You know the way he gave the ball away on that occasion. Uh, Alan was a little bit sloppy in, um, in possession a couple of times with Charles and went back to his usual gifting the ball away. That that was just so so frustrating. And if you look at where we were, I think Boxing Day, where we second on the table, and uh, everybody was like, you know, so really optimistic about what the second half of the season may bring, and we've just fallen off a cliff since then. Um, so despite the extra 10 points that we might have accrued from last season, uh, despite the fact that we won at Anfield for the first time in, in 20 odd years and then got a great draw at Old Trafford, you've got to say it's been a very, very frustrating and disappointing season as a result of what we've seen over the last three or four months. We've said many times on this, pardon myself and Gav, about um, you know, so sort of the early days of Howard, you know, so sort of when he used to end seasons on a high, those first two or three seasons where we'd have awful spells during those seasons. Uh, but you'd always end the last month or so with a little flurry, which would get you up to like eight uh, or seven, which would then, you know, so sort of send you into the summer in a slightly better mood, you know, so sort of thinking, well, okay, you know, so we ended the season well. Next season could be, you know, sort of a different matter altogether. This season's been quite the opposite. We've ended the season flat and limply. And you've got to point the finger at some of those players for the, the, the lack of character that they've shown and the lack of, um, lack of bottle, basically. And whilst we're also talking about, you know, sort of these things, just a little bit of a rant. Jaime Rodriguez, okay, you know, he's been wonderful when he's been available this season. And we all know, you know, so what a quality player he is. But what a PR own goal that was. Hey, not to have him there on Wednesday, going around the pitch on the final whistle with the other players, waving to the supporters at the very least. And then the very next day or two days later, pictures on this gorgeously luxurious bed on the middle of a private jet heading back to Colombia to represent his country. Couldn't he just have delayed that journey by two or three days? And I know he met his daughter for the first time in like about nine months while he was there. And, you know, he's not seen his family for a long time. But just PR-wise, you know, just just delay that trip by two or three days. So it doesn't look like that he's actually putting his, club, his country before his club. Just so many things went wrong over the last week or so. And it just leaves you feeling, you know, in a really frustrated mood going into the, uh, into the summer. And not looking forward, you know, sort of what the summer may bring. That can change depending on what happens in the transfer market. But now, it's to answer your question, it's, it's been a pretty miserable season, to be honest. Gav also frustrated by Everton and James Rodriguez being on a private jet. Uh, yeah, before I say that, you would have got long gods at the start of the season or at the end of the campaign. There'd be an Everton match, and there'd be one. Play there wasn't a headless chicken, and that play being Jordan Pickford, would you really? <laughs> you know, that, that, that probably really, that really probably sums up yesterday perfectly, doesn't it? Really, and also shows you, by the way, how Jordan has had a good second half of the season. Yeah, he's looked yeah. a completely different character than goalkeeper, which I think is one of the plus points. Um, you know, oh, I think only, we've given a plenty the of only plus points, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, the highest thing I just thought was it was dreadful, uh, and I'm not yeah. sure what sort of the communication strategy was within the club and, you know, what instructions were given or not given, whatever. But it was not a good look uh, for anybody, to be fair. Um, and I, I just felt that, last, you know, I get the family stuff, but he's paid five and a half million quid a year to make some sacrifices, isn't he? Yeah. With all due respect. And um, lots of other people have had difficult times. Um, so I don't really get that, you know, and th- th- also as well the the, the three weeks the Copa America starts is at the middle yeah, of June, is it? Like yeah, yeah. So it's not exactly starting next Saturday, is it? Um, so it all it all s- sounds to me like you know overindulging somebody, which I've not got a problem if he's played thirty five games. I was at thirty seven, played yeah. half of them, or in terms of game time, and 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 I. Spencer's my spleen about on Friday. And I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan and of getting players where fans are, maybe even the club are in thrall of them. Mm. And uh, Rodriguez falls into that category. Um, I just I don't think it's particularly healthy for the club. And that came across on last week. And uh, that just it was not a good look. 
Um, there was other couple of things last week. I mean, what's happening with Yerry Mina? That was all. I mean, we said how bad defensively we played yesterday. I just thought we were awful at the back. But I mean, City scored five, and I say four of them were just down to our own fault, weren't they? We, we yeah. gifted them four or five goals easily. I mean, Michael Keane for the first two. Yeah. I mean, the first goal was a shambles, wasn't it, defensively? But Michael Keane, who's the right side of centre-half, basically playing at left-back. I mean, Holgate got stick, but, you know, he's, he's basically got, like, a course of the pitch. I agree, I agree. Still, yeah, Holgate, Holgate doesn't know whether to yeah. mark his man yeah. or whether to go and close down the shot. Like, it, it's not Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. Keane should be 20 yards to his right, or not 20 yards, 15 yards to his right, and 10 yards further back to where he was. And... And then made no effort to block De Bruyne's shot. Then he was a fault for the second goal. Davis was on for the fourth goal. And they made Sergio Aguero look like, you know, Pete Duncan Ferguson, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and going back to Preno's point, that's the thing, you know, you mentioned about, um, you know, Carlo wanting to play a more offensive game. Because I, I just think probably thought, well, we just City, we're going to get tanked anyway, so we may as well go out on our shield. But the one thing we know about Michael Keane is once he steps out of our penalty area, he his defensive qualities diminish um, substantially. And you've seen that yesterday. So so not a good week. And I so said, I don't know what's happened with Mina. I don't really understand Coleman injured, then he's on the bench. Well, I mean, and just the whole thing, the whole bench thing just annoyed me and has annoyed me for weeks. Um, and, um, you know, the, the missed penalty sort of master. You know, master number of things really, and it was just not a not a great day. And being, if you if you want a really bad start, I actually worked this out yesterday. We've been opponent when the teams lifted the Premier League title. We've been their opponents five times in the twenty nine years of Premier League. No other club has done it more than twice. <laughs> so that's just that's just effort for you, isn't it? Really, yeah. and we were we were we were we were patsies yesterday, weren't we again? And I said at the start of the season that I felt it was a probably most important campaign say, in the Premier League era. And I echo what Preno said that it's been disappointing and an enormous missed opportunity. And we're end, I mean, and we're ending the season on a on a on a decline, which can be quite difficult to pick back up. You know, in Arsenal, I, I, I'm going off on one here, but Leeds finished the season 23 points in the last 10 games, didn't he? I was surprised to see today that since Boxing Day, after Man City, Arsenal have won more points than anybody else, haven't they? Really, yeah. Which yeah. is yeah, which is interesting. So they're ending the season on a high, and we're going in the opposite direction, and that can be very difficult to pull back when you get to the following campaign. And that's what going back to Preno's early eighties stuff. That's the type of situation you don't want to be in. Does that now, Adam? For Carlo, as we've pointed out here, he, 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 you know, very rarely in post-match interviews, even after heavy defeats, does he kind of lose his head a little bit. But if Gav was saying that this season was going to be our most important in the Premier League era, very much now the way we finished it, and you know, similar to what you wrote in your in that analysis, we've been saying it now every season, haven't we? You know, this is the most important summer. This is the most important season, but very much at this point can make a case for it, can't you? You know, we're a couple of years away from moving into a, a brilliant new stadium. We've got, you know, an all-time great manager. We've got an owner that's willing to pump money in. But at some point, the results on the pitch and where you're finishing the table and the trophies you win have got to start totting up to that investment, haven't they? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, this season, I completely agree with Gav, like when he talked about this season being a massive opportunity because... Right at the start of this campaign, we just didn't know what what this season was going to unfold, did we? You know, with all the all the COVID stuff and everything that was going to happen over the course of the next year, we were just completely in the dark. And it it seemed like a massive opportunity for everybody. Everton started the season in such a so, such form that they put themselves into that position where the like the expectation had just grown exponentially, almost. You know, from from what in European football, there were some people who were saying that the Champions League could have been on. And, you know, I think Marcel Brands and Carlo Ancelotti talked at the start of the season. You know, Marcel Brands revealed this the other week. They talked at the start of the season and said Everton needed 20 wins to get into Europe. They were wrong. They, Everton only would have needed 18. Everton got 17 wins. Uh, if they had got 20 wins, they would have got the Champions League. Um, which, which is just... 
which is just madness, isn't it? You know, if if they'd have had, you know, even a semi-moderate bit of home form, Everton would have been probably in the Champions League at the end of this season. As it stands, we've, for some reason, suffered, I would argue, well, just as just as bad as anybody else with, with fans not being there. For, for some reason, we just haven't been able to get over that mental hurdle in our heads. And that's that's cost us. And, you know, yeah, you can talk about, you know, the quality in the squad. And, yeah, I think Everton needs, you know, five or six signings probably this summer to really improve this squad and to really, really have a genuine fight for Europe next season. But at the same time, the quality in this squad should have been enough. The quality in this squad was enough to, you know, do a double over Arsenal, get a win over Chelsea at home. Uh, get wins over Liverpool and Spurs away from home. You know the quality in the squad was there then. Why wasn't it enough to beat Sheffield United, Fulham, Newcastle at home? So you know we can we can talk about the quality of the squad all we want, and yes, that does need to be improved. But there's there's a mentality issue still ingrained in the in this club for, and it has been for for years and years now. You know probably as long as me and you, Sam, have been <laughs> supporting Everton. You know that 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 mentality has always been there, hasn't it? And it's it's yeah. something that it's going to take a, re- a really long time to to try and get over. We've got one of Europe's best managers now, somebody who's won everything everywhere he's been, and he's struggling to try and get this mentality out of this squad at the minute. And you know, I think that probably is why we're looking at this summer to be to be a, a really big turning point because at, at this stage you you've got to think to yourself, right? Well, the only way to try and sort out this mentality is to have yet another clear out. But, you know, then we come up against the age-old issue. Are we going to be able to get the right players out? Are we going to be able to get the right players in for the right price? And et cetera, et cetera. That's something that we can discuss over the next few weeks. But, yeah, going back to your point, I think it, it, it does just it does just frustrate everybody that we're still talking about this being, you know, another big summer and next season's going to be another big season in the Premier League. And it's just yeah, that, that, that frustration that we just couldn't end this season on even a modicum of a high note is uh, is is really is really annoying. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With 12 games to go, we were fifth in the league. We were a point behind Chelsea in fourth with a game in hand. If we would have won that, we would have been on 49 points. Out of those 12 games, we've came out with 13 points to end the season. Yeah. We've been beat at home by Sheffield United. We've beaten at home by Aston Villa. We drew with Brighton. We drew with Crystal Palace at home. Even just winning two of those games, um, and we would have had European football next season. It's such small margins, isn't it? And I think that is what makes it even more frustrating that it's been schoolboy errors this, this yeah. season. And it does kind of feel frustrating, doesn't it? Because as Adam's saying, for people who are my age and obviously I haven't seen what you and Gav have seen with trophies and, you know, whenever we're the best team in the country. Right now, to me, it just feels like we could have Ancelotti, Guardiola and all the best managers in the world and we could have all the best recruitment people in the world. And there just seems to be something about us in, in this modern era that just can't do the basic things, beat the teams you're expected to beat at home, get points on the board and... Where does it go from here, Proud? Does it need whole-scale changes? Can you even do that in this current climate with the pandemic? Are we going to be forced to have, you know, the majority of the players as the same next season? It's, it's so difficult right now, isn't it, to to see a positive future? It is difficult, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the most damning indictment for me is of those games you're talking about. They came at a stage of the season where the players knew that they had an opportunity to achieve something. You know, the, the 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 riches were in sight. It wasn't one of those, let's just take each game as it comes and see where we end up. They knew that if they won the game in hand, they knew that if they beat Sheffield United at home, uh, that European football is on the agenda. And they didn't have, not so much the quality, but for me, the, the desire to want to go out and actually do it. And that's the most worrying thing. 
Um, there's all kinds of problems throughout the squad, you know, everywhere you look. Uh, you know, there are some decent individuals there, but there's like so many gaping holes in so many areas. I mean, we bought two midfielders uh, last summer. Two midfielders have been very successful. And yes, we still look like, you know, the midfield's not fit for purpose. We still need, you know, sort of more bodies in that area. Okay, it didn't help that Alan was injured for a large proportion of the season. And Takura, you know, sort of missed the, uh, you know, much of the running. But, you know, for the large parts of the season, the midfield just didn't look, you know, sort of like it was fit for purpose. Um, yeah, we, we do need more quality again in the summer. I was speaking to somebody over the weekend um, who, who was talking about, you know, sort of Everton's you know, current problems. Uh, you know, and he has this catchphrase, recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. And because that's all it's about. You've got to bring in better players. I'm, I'm not going to embarrass the individual, but it's, it's somebody who's, you know, who's uh, very, very highly thought of in the, uh, the, the, the Everton, you know, sort of echelons. And he claimed that not one of these current players uh, would have made the 1995 FA Cup winning team, the 1985 title winning team, or the 1970 title winning team. And when I said, "Oh no, come on, you can't be," you know, so mean in that. Surely, you know, Lucas Digne, surely he would be, he would get in. Nah, no chance. Andy Hinchcliffe was a much better defender as well as having the same, you know, sort of quality of left foot. I said, right, okay, we'll pull Riley's over Dominic Calvert Lewin. Well, yeah, I can, I can see your arguments. And when you go through it bit by bit. You know, you'd think, well, yeah, maybe he's got a point. You know, so maybe, you know, so it's not just the quality that, that we're lacking in this squad of players. It's the actual character as well. I know David Moyes got tons of flack uh, for, you know, Dithering Davy was the nickname rather unfairly afforded to him for spending too long, uh, to, you know, over transfers and wanting to get them absolutely right, largely because money was so tight at the time and he couldn't afford to make mistakes. But he looked at players' character and, and he looked at all these elements before he decided to commit the club's money to them. And too often in recent years, you know, not Carlo Ancelotti, because we've all, always said that, you know, so his signings have been very, very positive so far. But some of the players that we're still saddled with haven't got the right requisite quality, or sorry, the requisite character uh, for, for Everton Football Club. And I'm thinking of some of the players that are out there on Sunday, you know, so they sort of seem to be going through the motions and you think, oh, come on, you've got to do more than this. So it does, it needs, yes, again, you know, wholesale recruitment again. This summer we brought in, was it five players last summer, one of which Nielsen Konku was like a youngster for the future, but four were first-team players. We're going to need the same again this summer at, at the very least. And it's got to be players with a little bit of balls, with a little bit of, you know, sort of character and a little bit of desire because that's lacking at the moment. And, you know, it's... It's rubbish, isn't it? It leaves you feeling flat going into the summer, but unfortunately, that, that's what's required. Uh, I'm just heartened by the fact that we've got a manager that we're all behind and we all think has the qualities to be able to affect those changes, but there's still a lot of change that needs to be made this summer. Gav, you've, you've spoken already today about being left frustrated by the, the bench that kind of, you know, I think is ham, hamstrung Carl Ancelotti for most of the season, not, not having options to introduce on the bench, but you know, you look at that yesterday, Kyle John, Everton have already said, you know, they hope he signs a new contract, but they'll probably send him out on loan next season, only a young lad. Robin Olsen, I think Everton obviously want to sign him, but still no permanent decision made in his future. Joe Virginia, another young goalkeeper who probably go out on loan. Seamus Coleman will be here next season, you would assume, but I don't think too many fans would be too gutted if Andre Gomez, Bernard or Alex Awobi left the club this summer and then Niels Nkunku is obviously another young option, but Everton just have a real problem with depth at the moment, don't they? How, how can you solve that? You know, that's nine players there, five or six who might not necessarily be here next season. How concerning is that for you when you look at the best squads in the league, your City, yeah. your Liverpool, your Chelsea's? They have so many options to call from. Carlo, for the majority of the season, has had 12 or 13 names to, to trust. Yeah. Uh, they've got so many more options than us, Sam, because their annual income's 300 million quid a year more than what we get. That's the simple truth, isn't it? I still don't think Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's not just money, isn't it? Other teams can, even lower in the ranks in the Premier League, can put a full bench out, can't they? I know what you're saying. I think that there's two, there's probably couple of issues there. The first issue is I wouldn't necessarily to give that those players a go. I think you talk about the problem signing players in the summer. It's going to be enormously difficult offloading players in the summer yeah. for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, um, there was virtually no transfer window last summer for obvious reasons. January was the same. So you probably got three 
you've you've got three transfer windows effectively in one transfer window where clubs like us are going to want to offload those players that they don't consider good enough, uh, that want to rebuild. Uh, that's the first reason. Uh, so there'll be so many, so much. I'm not going to use the word deadwood, but so many players who probably surplus the requirements on the market. And so, are you going to get a buyer in in that that scenario? The second reason is in the post-COVID world. If the, if the if a club comes into them, they probably offer much worse terms than what we're currently offering them. So therefore, why would you move? So you just end up staying here, you know? Because why would you move for lower wages? So um, it's going to be as much as we can mention five or six players to offload. You know, it's going to be very difficult to offload them. Um, and so you're left with then people on the bench. You, I, I think it was Michael Ball made a really good point last week. I think in his column that the problem with our bench is we've got nobody who offers anything different to what's on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Because of our because of the way we've recruited players, so we can't bring anybody on with pace later on in the game to take advantage of the you know attack and defence. We just bring on players who are, by and large, serve the same function as the people on the pitch already. And that's why our substitutions haven't worked during the, during the year. So I think I think that's a problem. I think, and this is a wider, wider issue for discussion another day, is is, is how, how we, we've spoken, you guys follow the academy far greater than me, is how would we bridge that gap between the academy and bringing players through and getting them on the bench? You know, that, that's another issue, isn't it? So, yeah, that, that's frustrating. Um, and I don't, yeah, I mean, the answer to the question is you need more, mathematically, you need more players, don't you? So you not only need yeah. quality, you need quantity, but to bring them in, you've got to get rid of some. It's better we can get rid of some, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. going to be uh, difficult um, in the current, you know, it's going to be overheating, isn't it? The market in the summer, that many players are going to, clubs want offloaded, like ourselves. It's going to be very, uh, very difficult. Um, so it's, it's not easily resolvable for me, Sam. Adam, you wrote it after the final whistle yesterday, but the only way I think right now to, to turn this mood around in the summer and, okay, over the last few years, we've kind of, we've had one too many false dawns, I think, where we felt like we've had a successful transfer window and you know, for whatever reason, the players haven't kind of taken to the Premier League or haven't helped us progress in the way we'd like, but this right now has got to be a summer where Everton get things done nice and early. We can't have another summer of transfer sagas rolling on. How important do you think it is that Marcel Brands and Carlo Ancelotti in the next two weeks even start getting the ball rolling, start getting futures sorted out and hopefully even start bringing players into the club? I think it's crucial, isn't it? And I think it makes it even worse now that we've not secured European football because, you know, yeah. there's, as, as Gav says, you know, there's a lot of teams who either have secured European football or, you know, the likes of Arsenal finished the season better than us as well. We've got to try and move quicker than them because they're they're going to be our rivals next season. Well, we hope they're going to be our rivals next season and they're all going to be looking for rebuilds of their own. We could be looking for the same same types of players in different positions as, you know, the likes of, you know, a Leicester or a Chelsea, Arsenal, whoever it is, you know, they could be looking for a right-back themselves or a right-winger or anything like that. We've got to... We've we've got to move quickly to to make sure that you know the heads don't get turned elsewhere, and then you've got the prospect of a European Championship or you know a Copper America. You know some summer tournaments are going to happen. Uh, that's going to you know obviously stand in the way of some players making a making a move, and you know some players might be thinking to themselves, if I can have a good performance in this summer tournament, I might be able to boost me uh, boost me opportunities in terms of uh, what club I'm going to sign for after the after the tournament's over. So I'm 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 not doubting that it's going to be, it's going to be tricky and you know there's so much work that goes into you know making a transfer happen that you know I've got no doubt that Everton are trying their utmost to to do things quickly but I do just think that the the pressure is on to try and get you know somebody through the door you know when I think the chat the transfer window opens on June the 9th officially you know you'd love to be able to have at least one player through the door already at that point wouldn't you I think. Yeah. You know, with the with the way the season ended as well, with I think it'd just be amazing in terms of morale for the fan base, if nothing else, because otherwise you're just going to be stagnating over the summer. You get to that European Championship, I'd be shocked if you know many signings happened 
uh, throughout the Euros. So you you've, you're then waiting until you know mid July really to be making any of your signings. That's when you want wanting your players to come back for pre-season. So it's very it, it becomes then very fine tuned as to whether they're going to be able to start the season for you, whether they're going to bed into the squad properly. Like it 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 it's a, it's a really tricky business, and I, and I don't envy anybody who's involved in the recruitment side of things for Everton right now, but like, it, it, I, I really do think it is crucial to to try and get these signings through the door as quickly as possible because otherwise I, I do just think they have run the risk of not only missing out on some of their top targets, but they also run the risk of you know having their new signings not bedded into the squad properly for the start of the season and that's that's not really that's not really possible for Everton in the in the position that they find themselves in at the minute. What kind of summer can you see? Can you foresee, though, Preno? I mean, it was a mix, obviously, last time around, wasn't it? it you know, the, the youth of Godfrey and Nkunku, the experience of Alan and James Rodriguez. But, you know, we have been linked with all sorts of names and, you know, we keep getting linked with these kind of big-ticket names. You know, you like to Philippe Coutinho, but that's something that everyone needs to, to move, move away from, signs like that now? Do we... Do we need young, hungry players, or do you think it still very much has to be a mix? It's got to be a mix, hasn't it? I mean, uh, Philip Coutinho, you can forget all about largely because of you know the the wages he would command, you know, for the start. I mean, he's a good quality footballer, and uh, you know, you take him uh, Everton Football Club all day long, but it's it's not going to happen. But it's got to be a balance, like you say. You want you know footballers who've got that little bit of hunger and that little bit of desire. Ideally, you know, sort of younger players who've still got a point to prove that you know so still have quality and we've spoken about this before that that was the um the strategy that you know Marcel Brands was keen to try and put into place you know bringing players in that were in internationals or you know so about to be internationals but you know so had the ability to improve while they were at Everton and you know would therefore you know be offer sell-on value, you know, so should the time come when we need to move them on. But I'm thinking of like, you know, Lucas Digne or Yerry Mina, you know, so Mina was an international, Lucas Digne was just like breaking through. But we seem to have moved away from that a little bit now. And uh, we've gone for more established footballers. I mean, Decore, Alan, you know, so at the older age, you know, so of the spectrum, you know, so late 20s, Hamas Rodriguez, who's 30, is he? And, you know, it's all got quality, obviously, but... Sometimes, you know, you wonder about the, uh, the the hunger and the desire sometimes for players that have been around and have you know, seen it and done it. So, you know, you, you want to mix. Ben Godfrey's been an absolute godsend this season, you know, and yeah. his quality hasn't been, you know, absolutely top class all the time. Uh, but just he overcomes that with his desire and his appetite, you know, so for work rates. And, you know, and you know he will improve, you know, so as a footballer as well. You can just see that. So it has got to be a mix. I don't think we're going to get the players in as quickly as we'd like to get them in because, uh, you know, what I've said before on these podcasts, we've got a European Championship summer uh, that starts in the middle of June. We've got Copa America and uh, players of any quality are going to be involved in those competitions and are unlikely to be wanting to be negotiating with football clubs during that period. So unless we can you know, get them in very quickly, i.e. in the next two or three weeks, uh, when you say the window opens, uh, Adam, June the 9th, that only gives you like a few Nine, days. Yeah. Yeah, before the uh, these big tournaments start. So it's, it's looking unlikely. I mean, uh, last season, we made a great start to the season because we had Alan on board, because we had Decore on board, because we had Hamish Rodriguez on board, uh, and they were settled in, and they all were very, very influential in those first few games of the season. Um, I was looking through all our uh, our player ratings for the uh, the season for a piece that we're going to do later in the week. Uh, obviously, our writers dish out player, player ratings for you know every single game. And... Uh, Added them all together and given like ratios, but you know, looking at the start of that season, Hammers got eight out of ten in his one, two, in his first five appearances of the season. So you know, it shows you the kind of quality you know, so that he has. Maybe he proved with Shakir's right there because there's the summer sign in them, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that's not, that's not going down that road. Uh, but yeah, you know, so having the players on board early doors does help. It allows them to settle in quickly and it allows them to produce very, very quickly. And we need to make a good start next season, you know, because we can't afford to take this miserable end to the season, uh, into the summer, and then start next season flatly as well. Because that's when, you know, so a disappointment becomes, you know, more than that. And people start talking about crisis and people start pointing the fingers at the manager then. So uh, it's important that we get, you know, the signings sorted in the summer and we make a good start next season. But 
I'm not wildly optimistic that we'll be able to do so. It's going to have to be a very, very busy summer for the likes of Marcel and, uh, you know, so the people that organise these transfers, we're going to have to work very, very hard to get the players in that we want. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's try and, uh, let's try and move towards a more uplifting final, se- <laughs> final segment of the podcast, Gav. This is this the part where Gav obviously says in twelve months we'll be relegated in League Two playing playing on standard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do, do you still firmly that... believe, Gav, that Carlo Ancelotti is gonna lead Everton towards a, a bright blue future at, at Bramley Moor Dock? Do you still think that we can iron out the deficiencies that we've got in the squad and get to where we want to be, which is obviously winning trophies and competing at the top end of the Premier League in, in the next two years or so. Uh, a, oh, there we go. Provoking uh, question that, Sam, isn't it? I think, <laughs> I think for the fit, what I'd say for the start is we've got, to, we've got to have some sort of strategy, haven't we? I mean, we talk about the next transfer window what we should be thinking about is what we're doing over the next three transfer windows yeah you'd you'd, you'd hope that cup that conversation would take place wouldn't you you don't want to sort of have this like sort of groundhog day where every, i think adam you spoke about this this morning where every summer is a massive mm. massive summer of activity what we want is a, is a structured plan in place for for recruitment for player development for Incorporating the academy into 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 our future plans, we need that for a start. If if we don't have that, then the the risk is we just carry on as we are at the moment. This is just we haven't got a lot, a lot of good players. Let's bring another good loads of good players in next season, next transfer window, put them all on long contracts, and before you know, within a couple of years, they're deadwood. So I think. Um, the panel mentioned recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. We've got to get that right. Um, but I think also within that, I mentioned, I've been thinking about this over the weekend, about Carlo. Now, I, as you say, hands on the, you know, cards on the table here, you know, I think said on this podcast, I wouldn't have wanted Carlo. As, I said I didn't want Carlo as manager for, for the reasons I said before. But, Carlo needs to up his game as well. Carlo need, we can only do that if Carlo does something that he's not really done before. The managers and that is bring in younger players and develop them. Yeah. And I think I, I want to I want to see better football because not only we finished tenth, but the football's been not great certainly since yeah. October. And Car, so Carlo needs to up his game in. Now I was saying Car, Carlo to me is no longer a world class manager. I think that that ended five or six years ago, but. Carlo at 70% is still better than most managers we could get, to be fair. And but he needs to he needs to up his game. And if if he ups his game and shows something that he's not really done before, which I think he's eminently capable of, we get our recruitment right, we get a longer term strategy in, how we're going to recruit and develop players in the future, then there's no reason at all why that can't be done. Um and other things like FFP come into it and, you know, the, the Premier League regulations on who you can buy and how much money you can spend. But if we get all that right, then there's no reason why we can't uh, do it, Sam. But it needs needs everybody pulling in the right direction. And that includes the manager, who I think is... I mentioned before about being in thrall of people. I suspect there's been a few people in thrall of Carlo who've given him a little bit of a free pass on occasions this season. And he needs to up his game in, uh, you know, in future... And uh, if he does that, which he's capable of, there's there's no reason at all why we can't, you know, um, take things forward over the next couple of years. Adam, a, a agreement with that, that there's no reason we can't, but do, do you also think Carlo might have to up his own game, as, as Gav has said there, a little bit over the next 12, 
12 months, 18 months? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. I'd say, you know, especially, you know, we can look at a few of these games towards the back end of the season, you know, setting up the way that we did against Aston Villa. Did we really need to do that? Setting up the way we did against Sheffield United. Did we really need to do that? And I think we paid the price on those occasions. And obviously, you know, while the players on the pitch take responsibility for that, I think the manager does have to take responsibility for his decisions such as that as well. Uh, in, ter- in terms of going forward, I think, you know, the, recruit- the recruitment that we had last summer generally was good, wasn't it? You know, they ostensibly did improve Everton. Uh, all, yeah. f- all, f- all four of those, you know, I'd, I'd say four, you know, Nkunku, I'd say, you know, he's still one for the future, isn't he? So the four big name signings that we had last summer, I think they did improve Everton. And I think it was, you know, I don't think any Everton fan was thinking to themselves, oh yeah, all of our problems are going to be solved by one transfer window. And I think the same should be thought here. You know, all of our problems are not going to be solved in this next transfer window. I think Gab's completely right in what he's saying again there, that it's, you know, you hope that the the plans going forward are going to be, okay, so what are we going to do in the next three transfer windows rather than what are we going to do in this next transfer window? I think the priorities that we need to have in this transfer window are just, you know, in, in injecting pace into this squad wherever we, wherever we can because, you know, we're just not playing nice attack and football at the minute, are we? You know, you, you can set up defensively and still play some nice football on the counter and Everton don't really do that. I think that's probably the way that Carlo Ancelotti will probably want to set up Everton in the future, you know, still be still be quite defensively organised, but, you know, actually be able to you know, pick pick out teammates on the on the counter attack at the, at the very least. And you know, we've just not been able to do that throughout the course of the campaign. We haven't been able to counter teams with any sort of pace or direct direct football. You know, weirdly enough, like earlier in the week, I saw a clip of, you know, that uh, that goal that we scored in the last minute against Watford uh, under Carlo. And we, yeah. like that, that counter attack yeah. there, we had Richarlison, Moyes Keane and Theo Walcott on the counter attack. And all, all that I was thinking was, my goodness, look at the pace that we've got on that counter attack there. Like, the end of this season has got me longing back for Theo Walcott. That's how got. That's how bad it got. <laughs> I was like, oh, remember the pace that Walcott had? It's just like, that, yeah. that's, how, that's how bad our, our lack of pace is at the minute. Like, I think that's, that's the absolute priority. But yeah, I, I don't think that, all of our problems can be solved in this summer, just as they won't won't have been solved last summer. So I, I do think, you know, it's as I said before, you know, we we got ten more points than we did this season than we did last. We're two points, uh, we're two places higher in the Premier League table. We have we have nominally improved in in that sense. And you know, in another campaign, fifty nine points probably would have been enough for Europe. That's by the by in my head. You know, it wasn't this time around. But you know, if we do keep improving on that figure. You know, let's let's say we get you know five, six, seven more points next season. That's probably going to be guaranteed Europe, isn't it? So as long as we keep making these incremental improvements, you know, we keep improving the squad, we keep improving the points totals, then you know things things will improve over the course of the next few years. I think we're just a, I do still just think we're at the frustrating beginnings at the, at the minute, and you know it, it's going to take a lot of hard work to to keep up those improvements. Don't get me wrong, and I think. Gav Ryzen saying that the manager needs to improve as well as you know the playing squad and the recruitment staff and every, every, everything does need to improve about the club. But you know we have made those improvements in the space of a year. So if we're looking at the same sort of improvements this time next year, I think we'll be in a lot happier of a position. Preno, where would you like to be in 12 months then? If we're sitting here talking about the end of, of next season, looking into your crystal ball, do, do you want to see... As Adam's saying, just continuing that upwards curve, you know, if we get another 10 points next season, or do you think we, we, we seriously need to break that trophy duck next season? And basically, we need to do it all, don't we? I'd like to be on a beach in the south of France with uh, a lovely <laughs> You were going to say that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about where I'd like to be Barcelona, France, through Barbados, to take any of those destinations. Uh, as far as Everton Football Club are concerned, um, yeah, we've got to win a trophy. We keep saying this, you know, so year after year. Uh, and, you know, we, we had runs in each competition this time, but came unstuck, you know, when it came to the first good quality side that we had to beat, Manchester United, Manchester City. And, you know, other clubs have found ways, you know, so to beat clubs, you know, sort of like that when it matters, we haven't. Um, but 
And it was funny actually when Adam kicked off talking about 59 points this season, which, yeah. you know, in previous campaigns would have been, you know, was it seventh or eighth place? It probably would have been enough to get you into Europe. This place, this season has been very, very dif- different as it was when, uh, you know, so Roberto Martinez, you know, collated as 72 points and it still wasn't quite enough to get us into the Champions League. That's just unfortunate. You've got to, you know, be as good as you can be to overcome those obstacles. I mean, think of Leicester City this season. No club has spent longer in the top four places uh, in the last two seasons than Leicester City. And yet each season, when it mattered most, they fell apart. You know, they had an end, you know, so maybe not quite as bad as ours, but an end, you know, which contributed to them not making it into the Champions League. To be a really good club, a really successful club, you've got to take your opportunities when they come and when they matter. So winning a trophy is vital. It's very, very important that we can overcome that and stop those ridiculous chants about you haven't won a trophy since 1995, which really wind everybody up every time you hear them. But equally, you know, so maintaining the club's profile by getting into Europe is important. I'd have taken the Conference League all day long, even though I saw what it looks like. Uh, somebody showed, put, put a picture of it on social media before, and it does look like some kind of wicker basket that you'd see in Ikea. <laughs> it's a trophy, and it actually, you know, sort of improves your profile in Europe. So, you know, I want to be, I want to be greedy. You know, so I want to say that Everson should be, you know, in the top seven next season, hopefully aiming even higher than that. And we should be in a position whereby, you know, so we can compete in either of the two cup competitions and get into, you know, a semi-final that matters and, you know, so finally see it over the line and get into the final. But there's a lot of work to be done between now and then to achieve any of those objectives because we're a mile off at the moment. Uh, there's just, like, so much quality elsewhere uh, in the division. We finished 10th this season. I mean, Leeds yeah. overtook us in the end. And, you know, funny, to echo what Gavin was saying before, Leeds did it playing, you know, so exciting attacking football. Okay, they got absolutely battered on occasions and shipped goals galore. So did we, uh, you know, so on a couple of occasions. Uh, and we haven't looked anything like providing the entertainment value that Leeds have provided this season. Uh, Arsenal, they, they've bored the life out of most people this season, Arsenal, and they, they managed to sneak above us again. But, you know, for Leeds to do it, you know, so why can't we, you know, get a similar number of points by playing a better quality of football? And Carlo, you know, pointed towards that in his post-match conference at the weekend. When he was asked about next season, he actually specified playing more attractive football. So I just wonder, you know, whether the, you know, the uh, hierarchy at Everson have actually said to him, look, this isn't good enough. You know, we've got to play better quality football than this. You know, we're going to grind the results out every now and then, so be it. But not put us all in a stupor week after week, which we have been for the last last few months, to be honest. Um, it's probably quite good that football fans haven't been alive inside Goodison for as long as they did, because some of those own performances were wretched, uh, just boring, you know, just like dull. When was the last time a sub came off the bench and scored for us, by the way? You're talking about subs changing the game. And I don't know, has it happened this season? I can't think of one. <laughs> It was, it, was, it was about 2003, wasn't it, Fran, I think, something like that. I can't remember, but yeah, it goes back to what I was saying before about Sam's question about that to squad, isn't it, and subs benches yeah. and stuff. I, I thought it was, it was, a, it was all, a really good point. Talking all competitions, it was Bernard against Spurs. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. season. Yeah. So, I, presume, I presume so, anyway. That's the one that comes yeah, yeah. to mind so, for me. Yeah. Uh, Premier League, I'm scratching my head, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I well, think, yeah. and that that speaks volumes. If you're a man, yeah, no. going in, as far as that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last one I can remember that's coming into into my head was uh, was it was it was Tosin a sub the day Andre Gomez got injured against Tottenham, and he scored oh. the last minute, didn't he? That was in November, yeah, November 2019. Yeah, but we'll have to. Uh, maybe you can turn to your. Uh, no, surely, surely not. I think Preno has to turn to his. Uh, uh-huh. Books for this one. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. books. I mean, one thing I do want to mention about the weekend. Uh, Don't be plugging your book again, Prano. We done that. <laughs> that last I'm not talking about that book. I'm talking about my record books. You know, the ones that the ones that inform the pieces that I write. Uh, no, look at us. Uh, a very very important penalty was missed again at the weekend. Uh, yeah. It probably wouldn't have changed too much, to be honest. But who knows? You know, you go in at two one, then at half time, and maybe the game can change a little bit. Uh, but we didn't. We missed it. And Gilfie Sigurdsson now, from having had what was at one stage a very positive record from the penalty spot, has missed nine penalties now in his career. Four for Iceland, 
four for Everton. And a lot of those Iceland misses have come during his Everton career. And one very, very early in his career for Reading. Um, so I think you can suggest that maybe Gilfie, you know, his usefulness from 12 yards has outlived now. We had Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh, talking on television last week that how he wants to take penalties, how he's going to be knocking on the manager's door. And he's yeah. taken five in his career so far. Admittedly, over a long period of time, where he scored them all. One in a penalty shootout for us against Leicester. Uh, one for his country against Ireland. OK, there was no crowd in there, but, you know, taking a penalty for your country is a nerve-wracking moment. Pinged it into the top corner. And uh, a couple, you know, on minor international duties for England, under-21s, under-18s. So, you know, we need to get that sorted as well. We need to get a reliable, regular penalty taker. Richarlison, I know he scored some, but he's also missed some. He doesn't really fill me with that much confidence when he steps up. Uh, Calvert-Lewin, if he's a striker, he wants to take them, so be it. But that's something I want to see change next season as well. I want to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin on penalties and taking them successfully. Guy Clark has just, has just came to our rescue. Walcott scored against Aston Villa off the bench at Goodison in the 1-1 during Project Restart. Don't even remember. But to be that honest, game. Every, yeah, everybody's just pushed that game to the back of their minds, haven't they? I don't even I remember. Honestly, I was there, but I can't remember no it. Idea. I have no <laughs> idea what, what that even means. But Guy Clark, resident statistician, putting there Gavin Buckland to shame there. Well, we've looked over the uh, we've, we've picked over the wreckage of the Man City game, but we will be back in the next uh, week or two. Still, hopefully, bring you your podcast throughout the summer, which we definitely will. Uh, we'll be discussing player of the season, things like that. Looking ahead to the transfer window, keeping up to date with all the news. And also, if you've got any questions, if regular listeners got any questions you want to ask yourselves, don't hesitate to get in touch with myself or one of the lads on Twitter or join our Royal Blue Podcast group on Facebook where you can interact with the listeners and ask us all your questions to be featured on another podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening over the course of what's been a rocky season. We hope so much that supporters. We'll be back in Goodison Park for the start of next season. and We can start moving towards full houses, which will hopefully cheer the Blues on to a successful 12 months. Thank you again, everyone. Thanks for joining us, lads. And we'll see you later this week. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.